Depends on which link we're talking about. <laughs> I guess. I think we could probably loop in legends or, or do one of those deep dive formats where it's like, here's the historical context for it and here's the story. That's probably the only way to make it work. Wait, if he's being played by a speedrunner, it's history hijinks. Oh, yeah, 100%. It's like, yeah, so we all remember that, you know, 100 years of great calamity. Uh, but did you know that uh, the hero who brought it to an end did it in 17 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> With nothing but a ladle, pot lid, and some pants. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the new year for the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Not counting the bonus one, but, you know, whatever. Uh, I am Blue, uh, and I'm joined by Red. Hey, everybody, I'm sleepy today. And we're going to have a good time talking about uh, talking about some nonsense. Uh, Red, how are you doing since uh, since our, our crazy, like, end-of-year bonanza? Oh, you know, just a little nappy, I think, yeah. is completely reasonable at this point. Uh, you have been playing, he said to prompt discussion, uh, a little game the, the past week, though, have you not? Yes, I have been playing quite a lot of Breath of the Wild. Yeah, <laughs> A game that I have loved for a long time just on principle, but I, you gotta understand, I'm one of those people who, uh, did not play video games for a long time, and still, for the most part, don't. Like, I have the ability to, it's just... A lot of the time what I like about the game is the story, and the gameplay is like an obstruction to that, so I'll just, I, I was like the target audience for those long play, no commentary uh, let's plays that were like really popular in the, in the, the pre-let's play boom economy of YouTube. Because I was like, I want to know the plot to Metal Gear 2, but I don't want to play it, so <laughs> I'll just watch 16 hours of it. Um, but I was eventually just convinced that I would have fun playing Breath of the Wild, so I played it, yeah. and I was right. It's so fun. <laughs> it's It's been so fun to get your, your text updates on it, because I live very vicariously through people playing games that I enjoy, so seeing oh, the steady yeah. progression of, like, hey, Blue, I've been watching, like, Zeltic Zelda lore <laughs> videos, and I'm like, yes, good. <laughs> and then it's like, uh, hey, Blue, should I, like, start playing Breath of the Wild this weekend? And I'm like, obviously, Red, you should start <laughs> playing Breath of the Wild this weekend. Yeah. And then it's been uh, it's been great from there, so. Yeah, I got I, the I've been having fun, uh, like, looking over your shoulder at you having fun with uh, with Breath of the Wild. So. And it's great, because for, for context, I have a lot of, like, like the discussion, the detail that I tried, we did about, you know, the world design of Hyrule has sort of primed me to kind of know what I'm looking at a lot of the time. Like, I yeah. ended up on Lanayru Promenade really early, and I was like, look, a loft wing design on the wall. I know what that <laughs> yeah. means. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But actually, on the, subject of, uh, on the subject of architecture and unpacking all of that, uh, yeah, our yeah. first proper video uh, for the year was one of mine, another... Uh, another entry in the uh, Antique Antics series that I have ha been having a lot of fun doing. And according to the comments, everyone else has been having fun watching as well. Yeah, it was no, a video great. on the Pantheon, which uh, <laughs> I mentioned at the end of the video was was a topic that I had been meaning to cover for about like five years and just never had an angle on it. So I like mentioned it obliquely in a couple other videos, like the Rome video, the Augustus video. I like kind of like dabble. I mentioned it like the top five domes video from a few years ago, but I never really got a chance to just go like fully into it and explain like, okay, here's why this thing is so goddamn cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and I had a lot of fun. The audience clearly had um, fun uh, as well. People really ran with my, uh, what the hell kind of bad shit math were those madmen doing to figure that out. And a few people pointed out that, the calculations are easier and harder than you might expect because calculating it is kind of tricky, but the 
easy solution is just to kind of place a stick in yep. the ground, yep. and then on the day that you want to work off of, in this case, noon at April 21st, you just see, okay, what is the angle of this shadow, the distance at which it is cast, and the angle in terms of, like, relative to the sun on our, like, you know, north-south gridded yeah. street plan. Rome didn't really have a gridded street plan, but, yeah. uh, like, figure out, okay, where's the angle in terms of up and down, what's the angle, like, 360-wise, and then you just, you, you copy that, you just scale it up with where the Oculus is and where the door is, and it actually isn't terribly complicated. You just have to, to just do a small-scale model first and yeah. then upscale it, but it's still it's still really neat that they went through all the effort. I also got a lot of comments like, what happens when it rains? It's like, yeah, it gets wet. Uh, what I didn't actually <laughs> explain is that the middle tiles in the floor kind of angle down, and there are holes in the very middle of the, the the floor in the Pantheon that just drains out with a pipe that leads into the Roman sewers. So when it rains, yeah, the inside gets wet, but it also just like drains right out. They thought of everything. I didn't I didn't think to put that in the video, but I got a lot of comments like, what about the rain? It's like, it's marble. You don't have to yeah. worry about terrible water damage, but you know, so anyway. Yeah. I think it's I, fine I that you didn't it. explain the drainage system for the really cool dome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. The, the point about the... Um, the the trigonometry involved in calculating how to build the angle is it's funny because i actually did not consider the put down a stick and and look option because of course the mathematician solution is the one that appealed to me where it's like well you gotta <laughs> you know you gotta figure out the you got you gotta get all your parameters in place you gotta know the exact angle but it's like no you know when it comes to movement of celestial bodies the math is a pain in the ass but the observation is real easy. So Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I guess the hardest part would have been clearing out the necessary building space to be like, hey, sir, I recognize that you and your family have lived here in this neighborhood of Rome for generations, but we need uh, this is gonna sound silly. We we need the light from this door to shine through at this specific angle, and your house is perfectly in the way. So um what'll you sell for? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. I'm just imagining ancient Roman clickbait of, like, uh, <laughs> the government tried to bulldoze, but this peasant refused to sell. <laughs> it's just got, like, the comedy production photos of, like, the tiny little shack in the middle of cleared area and, like, marble colonnades rising out of the... Oh, yeah, or it's like, you won't believe what happens uh, at the anniversary of, of Rome's founding. I also saw a couple comments like, could you imagine like how much of a letdown it would be if it was like the emperor's big day to walk through the Pantheon on the, the anniversary of Rome and it's cloudy? It's like, oh, ah, yeah. damn it. That <laughs> happened recently uh, in Ireland. There, there was that... Um, paleolithic like standing stone formation that's supposed to shine the light in on like the winter solstice but yeah. it was cloudy and rainy for the full three days leading up to it so i was watching a bit of the live stream and they were discussing all the the cool like archaeological historical stuff about it and i was just it's like whenever they'd cut to an actual shot of the weather i was like mm, yeah. <laughs> i don't think this I is gonna be as impressive as it could be <laughs> On the subject of, like, like building things to, to coincide with light rays, like, there's a lot of, like, Mesoamerican architecture that does that stuff, but, like, mm. it, it's really bold to try and build a structure in the fucking aisles, like, Britain and Ireland that's based off of sun. Like, come on. Yeah. What a waste of time. <laughs> what a colossal waste of effort. It's like, okay, I hope this aligns with the three days of sunny summer that we actually get this year. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> Oh, uh, man. man. 
But That's yeah, podcast. no, it was a really fun video. Uh, it went over quite well. People really like the architecture videos. Uh, yeah, it's it's neat seeing the comments of like, you know, normally I don't really care at all about architecture, but the way Blue talks about it, I, I can be convinced. And I feel like that's part of like, this is a, a mini example of like the whole point of the channel is like, yep. you don't necessarily know that you care about this stuff until you hear it explained in a way that's like, oh, wait, that is actually really cool. Yeah, well, and then, also, you know, and then off you go. Like, you can just kind of hear in that video how absolutely enthusiastic you are. Just like in the way you're talking, even the visuals are like really punched up and snappy. It's like, this is clearly something that you care a lot about. And somebody caring about something is sort of like, you know, people pick up on that. And yeah, it's infectious. Yeah, also, exactly. the Skyrim music came in super clutch. That really, that really sold the point. Oh, yeah, yeah. When I when I sent the uh, when I sent my rough cut to Indigo for notes, she was like, "Is that fucking Skyrim music?" <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> I gotta so. say, I I'm used to seeing architecture that's like really good and really well put together because the badly built stuff usually falls down. But like, it might yeah. be interesting to do an exploration of like architectural fuck ups and like, oh, they built this arch and it's you know they didn't do the math right or they didn't do the math at all so it's like all squished up against the side yeah. it doesn't fit the other arches or you know yeah there are a of few of those things. one of the the common things you see online is like oh you know uh roman engineering lasted for centuries and my driveway cracks after 10 years with the concrete we use like what the hell part of it is that you know the 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 applications that we put our civic infrastructure through nowadays is a lot harder than anything the Romans would have been dealing with because uh, the weight of millions of cars driving on a road all the time is a lot worse than what a typical Roman road would have been put through over about a hundred years. So we, they yeah. wear down faster, but also one of the reasons that a lot of ancient engineering seems to have made it to the modern day is that it was over-engineered to an insane degree because they couldn't really do specific enough calculations to be like, okay, how do we build this such that it is only as strong as it needs to be for the application it has. It's like, well, we we don't really know how to calculate out with like calculus or whatever, like what specific amount of force we need to work for. So let's just build it as strong as we possibly can. So a lot of stuff is like way over-designed and way stronger than it needs to be, so it stays. And a lot of the other stuff has since, you know, collapsed in the in the years following. Um, but part of the reason that it seems like, oh, you know, this Roman engineering is incredibly, you know, strong and sturdy is, yeah, well, they, they, they didn't know how strong they needed to make it, so they made it as strong as they possibly could, and that's why it stayed. Yeah, there's so. something there about how now that we know the exact, like, half Life of all of our building materials, we can plan to obsolescence it so people are paying for the same things every five years, but it's more fun to focus on how the Romans just liked future-proofing all their stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. engineering is, is interesting, and it's a lot of stuff that I don't have strict training in. It's just enthusiasm and observation, so it's interesting to kind of break out from the, you know, the strict history and the literature and stuff into something a little more tangential. Not that I'm planning on turning this into, into the architecture half of the channel, ah. but uh, it's it's neat seeing the ways that, that design uh, and culture uh, and history interact. But that was uh, that was that lots of fun other Rome stuff coming up uh, in the not too distant future. But yeah. uh, we also had a handful of of other little little bits and bobs of uh, of more long form content in the last uh, in the last few weeks. Starting with the very fun Christmas movie showdown detail diatribe. Right? Yeah, that was uh, yeah. That was a good time. We put that one out uh, New Year uh, Christmas Eve, December twenty uh, fourth, and we all just kind of got together and and prepped our PowerPoints, and presented them to each other, which I think turned out great. Also, we've gotten a lot of comments vindicating my pensive diehard, and a few people being like, here's more points that Red could have done, and why you guys <laughs> uh, stiffed her on points. I'm like, yes, yeah. good. 
Um, hey, that's what it's about. It's about the discussion because it, you know it shouldn't end where where we finish our slides. The whole point is that it's you know it's an evolving conversation. Yeah. I do think it was very funny that the very end of the video, the last ten minutes, was just complete utter chaos nonsense. Like we'd stopped actually arguing our points, and we were just like having fun at the expense of everyone else in the call. Yeah, no, <laughs> so that I, was a good time. It yeah. was. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it just turned into the, like ten minutes of us just shooting the shit, which I feel like is kind of the the whole point of those those videos. Is it just becomes a fun group discussion about you know whatever it turns into. Yeah, when I when I was cutting it together, I was like, well, I can't lose any of this. <laughs> Um, it was actually very funny when Sina and I were watching, and she was like, "Oh wow, Red didn't cut anything." <laughs> I did cut a little bit. I mean, there, you, there were a you, couple you did, points, but... like if somebody said something and then like repeated themselves, uh, I, I would usually yeah. like, "Yeah, let's just get rid of that." But yeah, yeah. edits, edits for clarity, the, the the invisible edits, like cutting out um, the the long form equivalent of how we cut out our breathing in our like actual videos. Yeah. More of like smoothing it out for for conversation. Yeah. But, yeah. No, it was it was fun. We kept all the little little digressions and tangents and, and fun other bits, which I think added to the. Uh, to the, the communal feeling of just, like, four friends talking about some hot nonsense. <laughs> yeah. No, it was really fun. Um, it, it was fun to record. It was fun to put up. People had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, we, we did get a few people being like, what about this movie? And it's like, guys, it's personal opinion. The whole point. Yeah. <laughs> Some um, people were like, no Muppet Christmas Carol, which is like that. It's almost too obvious. Yeah. It's, it's too easy. I yeah. can't believe none of you took the nuclear option. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was, um, it was a good time, uh, and I, I did have a lot of fun rewatching Die Hard, specifically through the Christmas angle, because I've never done yeah. that before, I, I just tend to watch- You've never watched Die Hard through the Christmas angle before? That's weird, given it's a Christmas movie, Red. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care that much about Christmas as a concept most of the time. I like the aesthetic, but I don't have that much emotional attachment to its themes, so- you know, when I watch stuff on Christmas, it's like, well, I gotta do something. It's Christmas. <laughs> Let's make snacks and, and watch a movie like Die Hard. Uh, but when I was watching it, I was like, oh, there's stuff here. There's there's something here. Uh, Holly, like Christmas. And then yeah. for actual Christmas, uh, I just watched The Mummy 1999. <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. Classic. Classic. <laughs> just as seasonal. And in fact, I would argue... <laughs> Oh, no. You uh, see, yeah. uh, the eponymous mummy's attempt to reunite with his one true love, Anaxuna Moon, is just like the true meaning of Christmas. Okay. We're about four steps away from having a, a robust copypasta <laughs> of defending anything as a Christmas movie. <laughs> Oh, well. But, yeah, uh, aside from that, our, our next, uh, oh, jumping one week later, uh, yeah. it was New Year's, uh, yikes, uh, and in lieu of having a full video, because... Eh, Christmas break. We weren't going to be working that week. Uh, yep. the, the, the easier option than a video was to do an eight-hour stream. Surprisingly, <laughs> actually the easier option. Yeah, uh, But we had a lot of fun. We had a bunch of guests, great friends of the channel, coming on uh, to help us play through the Pathless and raise a total of $22,000 for UNICEF from our community yeah. with an additional 10 uh, from from OSP uh, for a total of, of $32,000 donated to UNICEF to help fund um, vaccine initiatives for all kinds of diseases, including COVID, uh, all over yep. the world, which was super satisfying and very rewarding to have participated in. And people seemed to have a really good time with, with the conversation. It was it was good. Yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. Just, you know, it's just, just us hanging out with some cool people and talking about stuff, which was really cool. Um, raising money for a good cause. Ugh, I just learned today that UNICEF is trying to get into NFTs, and I was like, guys, <laughs> we just did a good thing for you. Why are you doing this? But, 
Uh, anyway, yeah. but you know, it's still a good cause. Uh, yeah, they're they're still you know they're doing really good stuff, and and it, it was very important. I was just like, oh, the first thing I see when I wake up. Um, the stream itself was really fun. The Pathless is an absolutely gorgeous game. It's um, fantastic. I I have like three different detailed diatribe ideas for it, and I <laughs> I need to do a lot more research into either world architecture or music theory to figure out which one I'm gonna do. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is cool. I am so unqualified to talk about this. Yeah. But we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll get there eventually. But it's it's such a good game. It's just it. There was one comment that said that this is, like, the purest expression of the ideas in Breath of the Wild, where you just have this big world and these these divine protectors that have been somehow corrupted. But instead of having, you know, all of the, you know, robust game design around Breath of the Wild making it a survival game, it's just purely an exploration thing. And I think it was interesting to look at it through that lens, because obviously, you know, open world games on one level all share fairly similar uh, conceits. But thinking of it through the lens of, like, a, a hyper-simplified version of of breath of the wild was, was kind of interesting it's, it's not one-to-one -one, but the ways they differ are, are are just as interesting in the ways that they're similar yeah the pathless feels like i'd say it's very scaled down in the sense that like it's open yeah. world but there's not much to do like it's yeah you gotta defeat the bosses and you know free the world and stuff like that but like i, I don't think there's a single alive person on that entire island that isn't you uh so it's not like you get that much you know there's no npc interaction there's you know, it's it's open world, but ultimately a fairly, ironically, a, a fairly linear plot. Like, I'm sure you can do the bosses in any order, but, like, you, you can, gotta yeah. do them, you know. And it, it's like there are five points, and you can do them in any order, but you gotta hit those five points, and then you gotta, you know, fight the big bad. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's it's a very scaled-down version of uh, essentially the, the movement and, like, really free-flowing just dynamics of that kind of game... But it doesn't have the sort of open-world exploratory appeal because it, it, it actually kind of harkens back to a thing a lot of open-world games have where it's like, it's a big map and you can go anywhere, but, like, what 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 are you going to do, you know? It's it's like the Minecraft situation where it's like, if you don't make your own fun, <laughs> yeah. you can walk 10,000 blocks in any given direction and you're not going to find anything new. Um, or, you know, my opinion on Skyrim, same deal. <laughs> There's yeah. more stuff in Skyrim, <laughs> but, like, come on. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that works so well about The Pathless is that, along with the other games by by um, Giant Squid and, and that game company, is it's, it's a very clean expression of an idea. So there is not really an, an ounce of fat on that game that doesn't need to be there. The world could have been a lot larger if it was made by a developer with less restraint, yeah. but it's the perfect size to facilitate good, engaging movement between the different parts of the world. And a lot of open-world games are cool and wonderful, expansive worlds that are a slog to get around, but because the movement of the Pathless is so fun, they can have this world that has these interesting things sprinkled in, but everything in the middle doesn't need to be in itself interesting because it is a facilitator of the main mechanic of movement. And without getting into the whole, like, reason the Pathless is a well-designed game, <laughs> it was a fun time, it was a good stream, it is a great proof of concept for other things that we might do in the future, which is really cool, so yeah. um, uh, the comments saying how fun it was is definitely something that we're going to uh, take into advisement as we're planning other fun uh, stream concepts in the future but um, yeah um, other than that we had uh, the day after that our, our New Year's podcast but that uh, I think would be a little bit too infinite regression if we <laughs> debriefed a podcast on another podcast so we'll leave yeah. it at that <laughs> uh, and switch over to uh, as far as I'm aware one announcement 
Hold the phone, Sleepy Red from the past. It's me, Cooler Red from the future. I have an eye patch now and secret foreknowledge of upcoming events. The Sun Wukong vinyl toy pre-order window will close at the end of January. After that, if people want to acquire the gloriously three-dimensional Great Sage equal to heaven, they'll have to wait three or four long months before the product becomes permanently available on Doomco Design's online storefront in the summer of 2022. You have to warn them. Only we can save the future. Um, Red, is there anything else I'm forgetting, or is that pretty much um, it? I think that's basically it. Uh, we could bring up that the first episode of the D&D podcast, Indigo and I are on oh, rolling, yes. the difficulty just went up a few days ago, uh, which is quite cool. Uh, it, the one thing that, that kind of uh, bums me out about podcast platforms is that uh, there's almost no ability to get like specific comments on stuff. Like You can just get uh, comments on a podcast overall, but like... I want to know what people are saying about it, and I can't find that all in one place, and it makes me sad. Uh, but it seems to be going over well from what I can find. If that is all, I think we can transition over into the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah, sounds good. Hello, and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel... Consider becoming a patron for a chance for your question to be read first on a future episode. This question comes from Lonely By Wanderer. To everyone, you can make an adaptation of a Shakespeare play of your choice in any medium, any setting. What play would you choose and how would you do it? Midsummer Night's Dream. Nobody has ever done <laughs> a sufficiently wild and fantastical version of Midsummer Night's Dream. It is about fairies. And for some reason, all the movie versions are like, this is a guy. This is a guy where we glued little horns on his head. Come I think on. what I most want for a Midsummer's Night's Dream is like a Dark Crystal style ad- adaptation yes. of it, you know? Yes. Like go full into like the yeah. practical effects and yeah, you I can will, see okay, the I will seams, accept beautiful. <laughs> dark Crystal style Muppet, you know, uh, mm. uh, creature shop stuff or fully animated. Either one is fine. Yeah. Oh, Just saying, yeah. there's so there's like magic and shit in that. It is inexcusable that everyone's fairy designs for Titania and Oberon are just dudes, <laughs> just people in regular clothes. Just Come a dude. on. Yeah. I think a uh, an animated version of The Tempest Ooh. would likewise be really cool. Because mm. animated Shakespeare is a, a great avenue that is woefully untapped. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I, The Tempest is just one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. I, I really like it a yeah. lot. I like the themes and the, the characters and, uh, and the general like vibe of it mm-hmm. um, a whole ton. Because it's, you know, it, it's one of Shakespeare's few plays that don't just like take place like in a place. <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is just like a random city yeah. in Italy or England. It's like, no, it's just like, it's a remote island. It's cool as hell. Yeah. Uh, doing that in an animated, like, I don't know, like a storybook style or, or what, mm, kind but of some, like a, um, some cool... There's been a, a run of, like, uh, Irish and Celtic mythology that's been animated in a really cool style. It's yes. like Secret of the Kells and all that stuff. Yeah, that that's style. That's actually kind of what I was Wolf thinking Walkers. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah Wolf Walkers, yeah. that whole yeah. vibe. That would rule. Yeah, the Tempest... Oh, man, that'd be Tempest great. The Tempest also has, you know, Ariel, uh, who is yeah. another, yeah. like, like Puck... Uh, hard on the SFX budget, shall we say. Um, <laughs> so lots of fun potential. There's actually a, I think the movie version of The Tempest that I used in my video when I made that like a million years ago mm-hmm. actually did interesting stuff with Ariel. They, they kind of used a lot of cool CGI, uh, sort of like redesigned him for all the different roles he was playing. Cause of course, sometimes he's sinking the ship. Sometimes he's scaring bad guys. And like, they, they took the same actor, but just like, completely different makeup for all those different bits, which I thought was quite yeah. cool. 
Um, yeah. And he had yeah. at one point these really big, I think, like, practical wings he was using to spook people, which was very cool. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> you could do so much more than that with animation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that'd be great. I would also accept um, the Tempest uh, in the style of like like a Gendy Tartakovsky mm-hmm. kind of animation. Oh, I feel like that could be cool. Uh, I feel I like did, I don't think the Tempest has enough fight choreography yeah. to really justify Gendy's skill set. No, but there's a lot of really cool nature settings mm. in Gendy's animation mm. that I think he'd do a really good job. Or that like that style would be well for. But yeah, no, there's nowhere near enough fighting in the Tempest. <laughs> I my absolute favorite Shakespeare adaptation of all time is the Boz Lerman Romeo and Juliet. So I really what oh, I just want buddy. is more Hawaiian shirt Shakespeare, baby. Like get me more of that young. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, Isn't that the I, one where they all have guns, but the yes, guns but have like sword written yes. on them? He goes, so he's in his limo, and he goes, he's like, "Get me my longsword!" And then he reaches up to the top of the car, and there's just a gun that's like a shotgun labeled longsword. And I God. think that is that is exactly what Shakespeare would have wanted, you know? So dumb. <laughs> yeah. um, so I love, but I just love that kind of like over the top visual design styles. Any any adaptation, um, the Scottish play is my favorite, but mm. not to be a basic uh, basic bitch on main but uh i actually ha- i i liked the miniseries version of that that i yeah. use that has just sir patrick stewart as yeah. uh Macbeth, oh, yeah. and uh I, God, I wish i could remember that actress's name i've seen her in stuff i think she's in the wheel of time series mm. i know her because she's got these incredible cheekbones like they're like the most ridiculous cheekbones i've ever seen on a human being and she plays lady Macbeth, and i think she's one of the bad guys in the wheel of time series um <laughs> uh, or someone else with really spectacular cheekbones, I guess. But yeah. I think it's the same lady. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. No. There's yeah. a what a fun genre. I'm gonna look her up. I feel bad repping her in. so hard and then having no it's... idea who she is. Hold on. <laughs> hold it's on. unfortunate that a lot of Shakespeare adaptations choose the most boring mm. option possible. Oh, God. When you can either like. Because the thing is like, oh, we'll modernize it. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Are you just giving everyone knives instead? Or like, because you can either go like full balls to the wall. You can play it like straight to the historical, you know, setting. uh, Or you can just go completely mm-hmm. out there with different types of, of medium uh, and, and things like yeah. that. So it's, yeah, I more more cool Shakespeare yeah. adaptations. Like, I really want to, one of the ones I really want, I think we've talked about this in a podcast before, <laughs> but the um, uh, Marion Cotillard and, oh God, who's the guy from Steve Jobs and the Assassin's Creed? Uh, Michael Fassbender, <laughs> oh, yeah. Macbeth. Who's the guy from because the Assassin's Creed? Because they, they just go for Steve it. Steve Jobs and the Assassin's Creed. <laughs> That's how you remember Michael Fassbender? Also, I was right. Uh, Her name is Kate Fleetwood, and she is in the Wheel of Time. And also, Fate, the Winx saga, for some reason. Oh, my God. What weird, what a a rich and vibrant career. No. Um, And she was that First Order officer in The Force Awakens with really good cheekbones. I knew it. It's all Kate Fleetwood. (laughs) Anyway. But yeah, no, the thing about Shakespeare adaptations, like, a lot of them are like, we're going to modernize. But what they mean is we're gonna make it boring. Yeah. Uh, I saw yeah. I saw a production of Macbeth where it was like it was a modern war setting, uh, mm. and it was like everyone was just in like olive green fatigues, and I was oh. like, well, this is the most boring possible yeah. way you could have represented this. Uh, yeah. Or but then again, on the flip side, you have things like she's the man, yes. <laughs> objectively oh, one of the best interpretations of Twelfth Night. The, the early two thousands were pop because there was the, I mean kind of this is more nineties, but like Clueless was, is. Uh, yeah. She's the man, just like the Shakespeare and classic lit taken and then made into like 
teen girl movies trend should never yeah, have died. Those are <laughs> that is the hill I will and he die would have on. Loved he would have loved it. Yeah. He would have loved um, it. My favorite yeah. thing about She's the Man is that Channing Tatum's character, who's the, the analog Duke. For, for Duke Orsino, his first name is just Duke, which is a thing you could do in the early 2000s. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Again, good. Shakespeare would have he would have thought it was genius. Oh, yeah. He would have been like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 No, no, it I was think great. But like. Yeah. So many Shakespeare stories, they just, like, they take the base concept and they're like, we're going to do something new and exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Soviet Russia brutalist. I mean, I don't mind when they do that. I liked that version of Macbeth. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, you could have had, like, opulence and, and yeah. you know, crazy, complicated. Like, we could have, you know... Macbeth in his like mad king phase, like mm-hmm. in a in a gorgeous throne room, slowly going mad, and, and instead I it's like Patrick Stewart in a dark room. Shakespeare play adaptations or performances really do well when they do one of two things. They either go like the Romeo plus Juliet route, balls to the wall, crazy production design, like good actors <laughs> across the board in general, but like you know the stunning visuals, or they have extremely talented actors fully giving their all sort of in like the Patrick Stewart direction of like, this is just a person who is very, very good at what they do acting uh, to their heart out. Yeah. The focus is on the performance. Yeah. The focus on the performance rather than the visual design. And if you do one of those two things really well, you have a great Shakespeare adaptation in my mind. The the last thing I'll, I'll add is I will say this, consider the option of Hamlet with the Dune aesthetic. <laughs> that would Honestly, be cool. That'd well, be cool. Well, that would be cool. But I think what made the Dune aesthetic work is how much stuff was happening. How many and sand in Hamlet, rooms? a whole lot of nothing happens. <laughs> like, look, Timothy Chalamet is already like fifty percent playing Hamlet at all times anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, but how much? The, the, the reason why Dune works is because we're kind of invested in the Atreides, but Hamlet is such a whiner and he just doesn't do anything that I feel like if they stretch that out over three hours of sand and dark clothing, I'd be like, <laughs> oh my God, just get it over with. Yeah, Hamlet was falls uh, into the category of Shakespeare's plays I like to call the like the um, sad white man plays. where It's just like, this oh man is... <laughs> This man and is my, sad. Kenneth Branagh has adapted every single sad white man play and put himself as the sad uh, white man. Yes. Uh, and he also made Othello, but because he couldn't play Othello, he played Iago instead. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne plays Othello, though, and he does a really huh. good job because he's a really good actor. But yeah. Uh, yeah. That entire yeah. branch of Shakespeare plays is like, boys will literally kill their entire family instead of going to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Uh, but lots of, lots of great options. Uh, but we'll move on to some other questions. So this one comes from Pagwin to Red. What was the thought process behind the held objects slash hats of the plushies in the Christmas movie showdown detailed diatribe? So why were we oh. costumed up? Oh, well, I mean, I thought it was cute. Uh, it also helped identify who was talking at any given time or who was presenting. Uh, the the artifacts in question that are adorning the plushies are based on whatever movies we're discussing. So yeah. Indigo, you you had a little sword because <laughs> of the night before Christmas. I would have done a helmet, but it wasn't going to fit on the plushie head. So yeah, my hair is too powerful be to be contained by a mere mortal helmet. <laughs> exactly. Obviously, I gave the Blue headphones the, uh, are the helmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, I gave Blue me the single damage. antler from the Grinch, yes. and I gave uh, uh, Cyan the. Uh, the Mother Nature hat mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Uh, The Year Without a Santa Claus. And, of course, I had the lighter and the teddy bear from Die Hard. Yeah, uh, yeah it was just a cute little, like, 
you know, while I was making the background for the the special holiday episode, I was like, well, I can just keep punching this up. Uh, what else can I do? Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. the little blue with the one antler from the Grinch. Oh, that is was the cutest cr- one. So cute. Yeah. <laughs> I love yep. that one so much. <laughs> that was, I think, because we were talking in the group chat about like what we should each wear. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think that was the first one that got set. I was like, this is gold. This is. Yeah. I want. I want more. I want. I want this on my desk by Monday. More. <laughs> I also like that now, gift. Indigo. Your your profile picture online is now the version of you oh, yeah. with the sword. Oh, yeah, yeah, obviously. Which is great. It's <laughs> great. It's more, but so so on brand. The headphone sword combo is really good, and the falling off the chair, I think, uh, really sells it. You, you've evolved back to your fencing stage. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> giving big grumpy armor vibes. But um, to, to keep this terrain a rolling now that the garbage truck has left from sitting right outside my window. Uh, the Super MM asks to all, what is a part of your majors slash minors that you dislike to learning about? For example, oh, I am an astronomy major and I really hate working with celestial coordinates and side real time. So was there a part of your respective uh, courses of study in university and maybe like say what those type courses of study were that you uh, weren't as fond of as the rest of it? I gotta say, most of the classes I had specifically for my major, I had a good time with. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of them were very weird. Like once you get past, uh, well, not calc, but like, yeah, once you get past calc and like calc plus plus, then you start doing the weird stuff and they start being like, you know, you can take a course on formal languages. You can take a, a course on Markov chains. And I was like, I don't know what those are. And I took the class and I was like, oh, now I know what those are. And I, I've i not used a single thing I learned in those classes since then. Because <laughs> uh, I don't program in Haskell and I don't calculate complex probabilities with matrices. But it was still a fun time. Um, and those teachers were usually like very, like the classes were small and the teachers were passionate. Uh, mm-hmm. and in one case of the Markov Chains class, the teacher had, like, written the textbook, and he was like, I haven't published it yet, so here's the PDF. You don't need to buy a textbook this quarter. And I was like, nice. oh my god, thank you. That was also a quarter <laughs> where I was, like, really sick for some reason, so it was very helpful having a teacher in a class where I was like, I feel safe and comfortable here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so those were fine. But... Uh, I was trying to pursue a computer science minor, and because of some uh, shenanigans where basically my college advisor, though I loved her dearly, had no idea what she was talking about and basically made it so that by the time I was wrapping up my final year, she was like, oh, yeah, you actually would have needed to take this other three-quarter class to qualify to get your CS uh, double major slash minor. And I was like, oh, and who told me I didn't need to do that? Mm. Seemed to recall it was you a year ago. Um <laughs> But so that meant I took a ton of computer science classes and got nothing to show for it on my actual diploma. And computer science classes are uh, bad. They're bad. It's just yes. an objective fact uh, because computer science is a very new field and a ton of people want into it. And rather than providing enough classes and teachers for all those people, they will put all of the students in a class of 150 people with one teacher who could not care less. And mm-hmm. the aim is to weed people out. Uh, my computer science track would not even have enough slots in the final classes for all the seniors who needed to take those classes in their final quarter or they wouldn't be able to graduate. Like, the, yeah. uh, the, the class registration system was first come, first serve, and the computer science department had to make their own class registration system that would they, they would use instead of that because otherwise you'd get a bunch of free-floating seniors that were like, I can't finish my major now, what do I do? So they, they would have to yeah. sort of like handle it completely independently because the infrastructure didn't exist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those classes were just bad. They were poorly structured. Uh, even the ones that were highly reviewed, sometimes they'd be taught by a new teacher 
and that new teacher might not know what they were doing. I had one specific class where A, the entire grade was based on one project, a partner project, and uh, that project, every like two weeks, you would have to turn in a chunk of that project, which meant if you couldn't figure out how to make the thing work to 100% efficiency on the first part of it, you would never be able to get a grade higher than the grade you'd gotten on the previous one because every single chunk of code was building on that first chunk of code. Yeah. And it was just like, it's a partner project. And also that that class, yeah. that teacher made it work by basically saying, normally I don't, normally we're not allowed to do this, but I'm going to tell you if your current grade would get you a pass or a fail and what it, what it would be. And you can choose to take the class pass fail instead, which will not impact your GPA and will not go towards your major, but it will count as a credit. Uh, so it was, ugh, I'm so mad. I'm sorry. I'm still <laughs> mad about this. It was yeah. just, it was such a poorly structured class and everyone did badly. And she was like, you're getting a C plus right now. And I was like, mm -hmm. I get the feeling that I'm only getting a C plus because you're curving very generously because everyone's getting a C plus. So one thing I'll, I'll add before I transition to, to my answer for the question is that from what we've heard of, of a lot of like our personal friends who studied CompSci is that it is a field that is actually quite accessible to teach yourself because there are a lot of resources online and for yeah. a lot of the people who we know, if you have the enthusiasm to want to learn CompSci, you can you can do that. It's yeah. <laughs> it's 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 actually decently uh, accessible. And then you know what you uh, choose to do after that is is, is up to you. But CS um, is also real quick. Sorry, CS is also one of those fields where you uh, a degree in the field is not actually course doesn't correspond to how much you can get a job in that field because yeah. CS as a field is so young and as a degree is even younger that a lot of the people who currently have CS jobs didn't get degrees in CS because the degree did not exist when they were in school and a lot of the jobs for it will just basically work based mm -hmm. on merit and the languages you know and what you can do rather than whether or not you have a degree in it because they are smart enough to know that having a CS degree is not correlated with skill in a programming language. And if yeah. you find so, yourself in a 100 or so level CS class like I did for some reason, and you're thinking, man, I thought this would be easier than math and it's not, don't worry. It, CS isn't for everyone. Yeah. yeah, CS is a pain in the butt and it's taught usually very poorly. Yes. So, but uh, yeah. uh, Blue, you, you didn't major in math or CS. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I stayed very far away. I was pretty firmly in the liberal arts the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, first, I, I studied economics and I bumped that down to a minor because I realized I didn't actually like it as much as I thought I did because when I studied it in mm -hmm. high school, it was like, oh, wow, here are like systems and like structures of how like economies work. And it wasn't just about like, oh, money or like, oh, here's, you know, very like rudimentary, like basic dry theory. And then when it went when I went to college, it was rudimentary basic dry theory <laughs> being taught off of the Pearson slides with almost like no input from the teacher the entire time. It was just reading off yeah. of a slide from the Pearson textbook, taking the quizzes off of the Pearson. It's like, why am I even here? So I, I felt yeah. a lot of the similar thing with econ of like, what am I doing this for? <laughs> and then I studied, uh, I started learning philosophy uh, in classics and I had a lot more fun with it because you actually get to engage with a source rather than just having to like regurgitate it and learn the right calculus to calculate out the level at which uh, uh, an economy is self-sustaining and there can be no more competition or whatever. It's like, what the, what's the point? 
point of this? Yeah. So what I liked about classics is that it was a lot of like civilization level stuff, like structures of society, economies, cultures, um, uh, artistry, uh, political systems, and the very like structural aspect of it I liked. What I didn't like um, was in addition to the dry parts of economics, I also studied philosophy as part of my degree. I had a specific focus on that. Uh, I really liked studying ancient philosophy because Plato is the best. Mm. It rules reading Plato because the dialogues are such a good mode of literature to actually like understand that philosophy. But then part of my requirements was to study modern philosophy, which on its ah. own is mm. not terrible. And contemporary philosophy, like from the last like 50 years, actually kind of solid because people remembered how to write well. But there's an entire space from like like 1500s to like mid 1900s where it's just people talking at you for 400 pages saying something that could have been explained in about five. Uh, (laughs) And it's not even philosophy and like trying to think about how to live a good life or how to be a good person. It's just semantics. It's like 80 pages of cons to understand is a hot dog a sandwich. (laughs) It's like, this doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. So I really didn't like that because it's just, it's bland, it's dry. There's a reason people hate it so much. And there is good modern philosophy, but oh boy, do you have to dig to get it. So I really, really didn't like that. Mm. Um, And even ancient philosophy is not perfect, but it was clear that people had like a sense of of care in the way that they wrote and had a, a point they were actually trying to convey about what it means to to live a good life or be a good person. Um, And a lot of modern philosophy is just metaphysics and like, oh, how do we know the things that we know? And what is morality? It's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Ah. You just reminded me that I also had to take a modern philosophy class for the core curriculum. And I hated it so much I didn't remember a single goddamn thing I learned there. (laughs) I know I had to read Kant and Hegel, but you got to understand, I didn't know I had ADHD at the time, but I knew that I hated every single second of being in that classroom. So I think I just sat in the corner, tucked up my knees and doodled the entire time. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I also, I just took like freshman gen ed classes in each of the subjects that both of you guys have been talking about loathing because I, I did like a um, my philosophy credit in a... It's like morality or something is what it was called. And we also read Kant. <laughs> but we also read uh, Le Guin, Ursula K. Le Guin, to use yeah. to explain it. And that was great because I love a good yeah. sci-fi moment. But uh, yeah, the actual content of the class, not great. Le Guin is also a good writer and Kant isn't. Yes, that's yeah. also If it takes you true. five million pages to explain the basic concept of, I use my brain sometimes to think about using my brain, then you're a bad writer and you should probably stop. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a Chinese language and lit and film and TV production double major, and I didn't really have anything specific in the Chinese language and lit degree that I disliked learning about. I would say maybe the closest is that I'm terrible with dates, so anytime I had like a more history-focused class that really needed me to know the specific date range for stuff, I was a little screwed. I know the order of the dynasties, but if you asked me to tell you what year they started and ended in, I couldn't do it. But for the film and TV degree, uh, I was very, very production-focused, although we did some theory as well. Uh... And I would say, like, the thing with any sort of uh, more creative field is that there's so many different aspects to what goes into it. I love um, production sound, post-production, um, a lot of the more technical stuff, but I really don't like uh, cinematography. I appreciate it on aesthetic levels, but if you ask me, like, Indigo, please light this, <laughs> uh, I will not be having a good time. I can do it but I don't enjoy it. And uh, that's kind of one of those things yeah. that you can really only find out by doing it. Our program track was not 
one where you had to lock yourself into a specific aspect of film and TV production while you were studying it. Uh, we sort of just picked your classes based on what you were interested in. So other than the gen ed classes that I had to take in like freshman and sophomore year that were like, everyone takes these so that everyone has a basis and sort of the vague uh, understanding what each of the production roles is. Once I got out of those and I was like, I never have to do this again. We were smooth sailing, uh, similar yeah. with like writing uh, for film and TV. Like I'm just, I'm not a, I'm not a writer at heart for that kind of stuff. So other than like the gen ed class you have to take, um, hmm. scooted on through. But the yeah. kind of flip side of that is in a lot of college degree programs that you have flexibility in, even if there's an area you don't like as much, a lot of the times you can then focus your classes later on into stuff you do like. I took a lot of post-sound yeah. classes my senior year. I did a lot of post-production and I was having a great time. So, you know, pluses and minuses. It's it's a balance and it's stuff that you'll you'll learn to work around because every degree, no matter what you do, every field of study will have something that bothers you. That's yeah. just that's just exactly. how life be. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's you'll why you'll learn teach, to like, eventually those, like, work around. Like six hundred level classes are super specialized in their field and do the thing that really interests yeah. them. But even if you ask exactly. them, they'd probably tell you that there's something they didn't love doing. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, but to keep this uh, podcast train rolling, this next question comes from oh god, this name, Snissel Ya Hudi. I'm so sorry. Hi, yeah, hoodie, I think. Uh, it just snowed out a solid foot or so. What do you do? Snowball fight, snowman, shoveling, hot cocoa by the window. What's your snow day MO? Um, well, I had uh, I had some snow uh, fairly recently, and my strategy was to just take a big old walk. Uh, <laughs> I, I got on my snow boots, got on my big coat, got my scarf, little, little nice. earmuffs, my mask, which masks are a great winter accessory. Keep your nose warm. That's great. Um, and just took a, a little took a little walk, walked around town, stomped through some of the parks, uh, find like the little patches where no one's gone yet, and just stomp through the fresh snow. That's a great feeling. But uh, looking at all the the snow on the trees is just like ugh. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, you come back, you, you get all your, your damp, snowy gear off, and then you just you know, uh, cozy up with, with a cup of uh, peppermint hot cocoa. But yeah. the, the winter walk is, is one of my favorite things. When, when it was that morning, I was like, hey, Cyan, I'm going to... I'm definitely gonna have to take a walk at some point. Even though I was working <laughs> that day, I was like, I'm gonna, gonna take my lunch, gonna break for, for the afternoon, go take a walk. It was great. Yeah, uh, I much prefer the aesthetic of new fallen snow to actually dealing with it. Uh, snow is the one thing that uh, hiking through frustrates me a little bit, I guess, because it's it's heavy, it's wet, it always gets into your boots if it's high enough, and also I just don't like how it looks after people have stomped through it. Like, fresh fallen snow is the ideal aesthetic, uh, and like when I was in middle school, you know, I'd see the, the snow on the playground, I'm like, oh, it's gorgeous, and then someone would go out and have recess, and I'm like, well, now you ruined it, so I hate it. <laughs> Uh, so my MO is I stay inside and I keep it pretty for as long as possible and I make hot cocoa. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was, when I was a kid, it was absolutely the sledding snowball combo, you know, cause I, I have uh, younger brothers and so we'd all gather all the, the kids on the block and go hang out. But now I think I'm falling more in the red camp of like, I would like to sit inside with a warm beverage and admire the snow <laughs> as it falls. Uh, a walk yeah. is always good. I live in a city and so it takes about two seconds for the snow to go from really pretty to mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely disgusting. So yeah, I think I'm falling more in the stay inside and get a nice drink in camp yeah. these days. Um, yeah. yeah. This... I'm a sucker for a good walk, so. Yeah. Hey, oh, I <laughs> love ain't walks, ain't just not in the snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this next question comes from Bashwa to Red and Blue. If you lived in Hyrule and established a Hylian version of OSP, what would Link's adventures be classified as? Miscellaneous myths or history hijinks? Oh, that's definitely uh, history. Oh, oh, yeah, well, 
<laughs> Depends on which link we're talking about. <laughs> I guess. I think we could probably loop in legends or, or do one of those deep dive formats where it's like, here's the historical context for it and here's the story. That's probably the only way to make it work. Wait, if he's being played by a speedrunner, it's history hijinks. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. It's like, yeah, so we all remember that, you know, 100 years of great calamity. Uh, but did you know that uh, the hero who brought it to an end did it in 17 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> With nothing but a ladle, pot lid, and some pants. According yeah. to witnesses, he uh, used some form of magic to launch a tree directly into the castle. After that, we didn't see anything until there was a giant pig that then exploded. So <laughs> our, <laughs> he didn't uh, even have the sword that seals the darkness this time. <laughs> our hero, the princess's appointed knight, woke from his long slumber and went around the kingdom to pet the dogs. Uh, <laughs> he never actually fought Ganon. I mean, if you look up, you'll still see him up there, but the dogs have all been, been fed, so, I mean, I guess I guess he's satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that space that it exists in between, like, well, it's actually happening in-universe, but do we know for sure? Who, who well, especially say? in Breath of the Wild, uh, a lot of the older stuff has kind of clearly fallen into legend. I mean, uh, there's the the cutscene where Zelda's like knighting Link and she's talking about like, you know, whether skyward bound or in the embers oh of twilight. God. And I was like, yeah. wait, what? Wait. <laughs> that one gets me. That's You know about so my boy Mendo? Where is she? My girl. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's such yeah. a good, I, I forgot about that. That's such a good cutscene. And it's like, but it raises so many questions. It's like, has this phrase just been passed down? Cause I don't think anyone alive could possibly remember no. or know about like skyward sword uh, or, and one of them was, like, something about, I think it even brought up Wind Waker. I was like, wait a minute, yeah. are those even in the same timeline? <laughs> oh, so. God, we cannot get into the Zelda timeline. <laughs> we will be here all day. Uh. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it'd be fun to see, yeah, like, an, an in-universe Hylian OSP or whatever like, I think it would really, it would about, have yeah. to be a deep dive because yeah. It, would, yeah. it would follow the same structure as, like, here's this figure how they changed over time. So it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes he's like a cute little chibi and sometimes he's a cowboy who turns into a wolf. That was a weird one. Do you think um, it would be more or less difficult than the Loki deep dive to do a Link deep dive? Like how many sources on Link do they really have in Well, that's the thing. Like, well, before I, I the Forgotten it... Temple was the Forgotten Temple, it was basically a Link museum. It was a shrine to honor the, the various incarnations of the heroes. So if we're at that point in Breath of the Wild or like the Hyrule history, then we're actually gonna have a lot of sources. But if we're in like like Breath of the Wild timeline, Forgotten Temples toast. So we we're gonna be working from scratch. True, true. <laughs> but at the same time, there's about a million like, oh, this is a song that was passed down to me from my teacher, who yeah, he knew a weird amount about this or whatever. It's yeah, like, if we're friends with Cass, we're in business. But true, otherwise, yeah. we're screwed. <laughs> and there's a ton of stuff just around you know you can find outfits from all the different heroes hidden around yeah. hyrule you know there's th the information exists but it's like the information exists because it's a franchise that's doing callbacks you know yeah. it's not the same thing mm -hmm. it's interesting space. imagine some random guy just found the chest with like the trousers of twilight and i was wears gonna say there's just like some like fashionista you know like one of the in like hateno village has oh just been God. absolutely like rocking the dark link fit this whole time they found uh midna's hat and they've just been wearing that yeah, like, I feel like yeah. Pura would wear Midna's hat. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, probably. absolutely. Um, Pura and Midna have very similar energies, so yeah. I get what you're going mm -hmm. with. Uh, this next question comes from Sixth Sense of Cinnamon to Red and Blue. Before you guys started YouTube full time, what were your future plans and chosen careers? 
It's a plans. weird question to answer because by the time we were like thinking about like what we would do after college, like OSP was kind of the answer. Hmm. Yeah. So we we had like you know inklings of like oh you know I can I can get a job working in an archive or something, and I can uh, maybe consider like being uh, like a researcher or a teacher somewhere. And I was like oh no, it's OSP. Okay, cool. Off we go. I, nice. I think my nominal plan was I could probably swing a tech job, hmm. uh, and, but the only like I don't. Here's the thing. I don't like lie awake at night daydreaming about working you know <laughs> yeah. what i wanted to do with my life was travel which uh real kick in the teeth last couple of years i gotta say yeah. but uh that's really the only thing i wanted to do i wanted to be you know comfortable enough to just be able to go cool places with my friends and you know experience cool things that's really all i cared about like mm-hmm. I, I i don't live to work you guys i, I want to do things that i enjoy and work is not usually one of them uh, so there were things that I was like, I could probably get a tech job and that would pay okay, and then I could travel. Uh, and then OSP descended from the heavens, you know, with choirs <laughs> yeah. of angels and harps and was like, what's up? You can just draw and stuff, a thing you already like doing, and talk yeah. snarkily, a thing you already like doing. And I was like, well, <laughs> fuck you've been yeah. doing for free for all these years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, what I probably would have done is go to work in a museum. Mm. Uh, I probably would have done that. Like either, that actually would um, be cool. Like, I know there's, like, versions of, like, a, a docent where it's, like, a museum guide or something. Mm. Uh, it's like, what's the word? Guide. Duh. Yep. Um, <laughs> docent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, but, it's a thing. It's like where you hang around and you explain things to people. Usually that's an unpaid position, but there are like museum yeah. guides that they have. So yep. would have tried to angle for that, but I, I think I got a, I think I got a good end of the deal. The thing with like being yeah. a, like a, a tour guide is like, you can't really be a tour guide of like a famous place unless you're born there. Cause it's like, oh, like here's this guy who's like a tour guide for Florence, but like, he's not really Florentine. So like, I'm going to go to this other person. So uh, options mm-hmm. are, are limited being born in the States, but um, yeah, no museum guide would have been, would have been pretty neat. And there's stuff that, like, you know, I wanted to do that wasn't really a stable career path. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think part of the reason that I was thinking about, like, oh, you know, like a CS job or, like, tech or something is because you can often do that freelance on the side of other Mm -hmm. stuff. So it's like, am I stacked enough? So, like, one of the things that I've been interested in for years and years was voiceover and voice acting. You may have noticed it's a thing I like doing (laughs) in general. Uh, But... Voice acting is a, it's entirely gig based, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to make a stable career out of. Uh, but so is CS. And I was like, maybe if I double up on these, if I multi-class, mm. everything will work <laughs> out fine. And then I didn't have to do either of those things. So, yeah. yay. Yeah, that's a very similar situation to what I found myself. I graduated college right in the middle of the beginning of the uh, great COVID times. Uh, so my original plan was to go straight into uh film production. I was going to move to LA and go all in on that. And then I ended up working for you guys and transitioned to doing a bit more like remote gig situation. But yeah, it's, it's like that, that I, the, the gig based economy is a fun sphere to navigate because it really does for a while when you first set out, not really feel like you have a career. It's sort of just like, I do all these odd jobs and people pay me enough from these odd jobs for me to make a living. And eventually it metamorphosizes into here is the thing I do the most odd jobs in. This is what I would call my career, but it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting space to end up working in sometimes. Yep. Um, fun, but definitely yeah. a time. And a lot of a lot of creative fields fall into that category. It was same with like voice acting. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all film and TV production is gig based. Pretty much all like YouTube production, even even like YouTube production, similar situation where it's like you get pulled on for yeah. a project or two. Um, yeah. Yeah, but we're we're coming up on time for the podcast. We got about one more question here before we're gonna sign off. This question comes from Pin de Great She Her. To all, if you had a bookshelf that hid a secret room, what book would you pull to open it? 
It can't be too obvious. That's the thing. A lot of them are way too obvious. So you gotta... Do you think if you go uh, super obvious, it circles back around to being secret? Because my option would be like, Secret Rooms for Dummies is the book you have to pull. Because why would anyone ever think to pull that, you know? <laughs> I would love to read a book called I would secret be curious to dummies. read Secret Rooms. Yeah, no, I, I, that's the thing is like, because genuinely, then people are like, oh, wait, that actually seems kind of neat. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> I probably you can, if you really like want to a... hide it, you can like put it in like um, one of those like folders that like you put like like spiral binders but on yeah. the side is like poems i wrote when i was sad everyone's like okay not gonna touch that yeah the last thing that anyone wants to read someone's own personal sad yeah. po- I, don't know. Poetry. I don't think you want to make it so that uh your secret room is selecting for people who are looking for blackmail material on that's you, true so. like i wouldn't make like your diary the book you pull you know because that's just asking yeah, for like um... a younger sibling to come in and discover the secret room I'd probably go with like one of the like D and D three point five expanded mm. source books, like yeah. the complete rogue or like the complete arcanist or something, because there's about fifty million of those books, and the odds of somebody looking at one specific one and being like, "Oh, I'm really curious about all the rogue subclasses." Oh my so god, it's pretty low. I know so. exactly what things sitting on my bookshelf you would have to pull to open it. It is my I so I keep DVDs and books in the same shelf. Don't come for me, Daniel Green. I've seen your roasts, uh, but. <laughs> There is a DVD copy of Moneyball that even I have not once picked up and opened. That is the perfect option. No one is ever going to touch that. First of all, yep. who's going for DVDs anyway? And then second of all, why Moneyball? There's so many better options on that shelf. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I would, uh, what, what I would, I'm looking at my bookshelf now and nothing is, is coming to me as the perfect balance of like, ah, <laughs> uh, yes, this is it. And also not like way too obvious. I could probably um, pick one of the old like Heinlein sci-fi pulp, mm. like, novels that i have because i've just got like a whole bunch of old like little paperback copies of sci-fi novels and it's like some of the you know like larry niven stuff is kind of cool but i've got like heinlein's the puppet masters and like yeah there's some interesting concepts in there but it's yet another heinlein book that ends with everyone on earth deciding to be nudist and it's like anyone who knows it will be like nah i'm not interested and anyone who doesn't will be like that's the most boring title i've ever heard yeah nobody will click it I, I'll, I'll go for a copy of Aristophanes' Birds because it's about going to a kingdom in the clouds, which Aww. is kind of like a fun little escapist Aww. thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's Aristophanes, so I get I get a book to read on my it's way into my secret library. And you'll never forget it. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice. Oh, man. What a reading list. I don't know if I would recommend this list that we've just pulled as a reading list for people, but no. if you're looking for secret <laughs> library lever options, it's pretty yeah. good. Uh, there actually, are actually companies that make, like, like attachments that go on doors that are yeah. bookshelves that have like a sign and cool. I were sorely tempted, but that's, that's going to have to wait uh, until yeah. later. That doesn't fit in an apartment. <laughs> if I wasn't uh, a renter, you know that every door in my house would be a secret bookshelf. Yeah. Highlines uh, the yeah. Puppet Masters is actually an interesting read, uh, especially once you realize it's about communism and you remember how relentlessly horny this man was 24 seven. Hmm. Yes. Uh, I mean, I got no shade on Moneyball. I just don't think it's the best DVD in my collection, honestly. Like, like Romeo plus Juliet thinking... and Ghostbusters and Clue the movie are all right next to it. Why would you pick Moneyball <laughs> out of those four? Um, <laughs> but we're... I'm just thinking of, like, Heinlein mm-hmm. horny communism sees the means of reproduction. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. The, the, the Puppet Masters is a classic alien invasion story. These, like, blob aliens, if they touch a human being, they can um, uh, control them. 
And rather than this leading to people wearing large amounts of clothing so that the uh, alien can't touch their skin, it leads to people being like, you could be hiding all kinds of aliens under those stuffy clothes. So everyone just decides to go full nudist uh, until they get rid of all the aliens. And then afterwards, they're like, well, we've been nudist for so long. It would be weird to go back to wearing clothes. And that's the end of the book. Yeah, that tracks. I read that when I was 11 and I was like, I don't really think that's how that would go. (laughs) That's as far as that went. Yeah. Well, speaking of as far as things went, this is about time for the podcast so red are you ready to take us out are you have you you know this is a new year a new us is um how are you feeling about the outro these days sleepy as per the usual um thank you all so much for listening uh as mentioned during the uh mid-episode bumper we've still got those vinyl toys check them out uh we've been posting about them somewhere on our instagram if you didn't know we have one of those we have one of those i post pictures of space and blue pics post pictures of cleo and it's a fun time time. so you can check that out uh let's see uh we're gonna have basically regular videos coming back for you know the rest of january and february it's a little chiller there's gonna be a couple more detailed diatribes than usual because they're so much simpler for us to do than regular stuff but, yeah, you know, we're, you, you we're won't trying be to take it content. easy. Uh, it, it was it was a, a full full run through of a year uh, last year. We had a lot of stuff going on, so we're trying to trying to recoup a little bit. January is usually the time that uh, that YouTube content creators try to try to relax a bit after mm-hmm. the ad revenue tanks. <laughs> Which is funny because uh, one of the trope talks actually got picked up by the algorithm recently, and we've gotten yeah. a huge spike in just like viewers and new subs this week for some reason. So that's kind of cool. Mm. Uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, uh, we're going back to the regular bi-weekly podcast upload schedule that we've been doing because, yes. you know, we're, we're done with the bonus stuff and the, the little beginning of the year break. So we're going to have a new episode in two weeks. Um, and until then, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And this has been an overly sarcastic podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on January 26th with another episode, but if you miss us before then, feel free to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube for even more great historical, literary, mythological, and other content. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.